Act 5, Scene 2. The tent glides on skids, is pushed aside quickly by the gibbering naked wise men, when Faustus steps out of it. It is swerved round and off to the side so that the back of the stage opens. And at the moment, a sinking sun illuminates a gorgeous scene of lush forest and a riverside in golden oral light. There, women are bathing their children who play. Alexander had previously paid homage to the oracle at Siwa, to Apollo at Thebes, to ghosts of Achilles and Protocles, the Gordian knot he'd severed with his sword, and in Persia give obeisance to the Magi, who'd uncloaked the flaming Ahura Mazda, and had not cursed his head, as his men had said they would. So it was natural when in India that he should emulate the ways and wisdom of these native men, which no Greek obtained, for Alexander believed every age, every land, shall offer knowledge to be attained, which gathered, cherished, and retained shall not need again to be earned by experience, but may be learned by any individual attentive to his society, obedient to teachers, reverent of ancestry. But because in every land and people he found unknown knowledge, liberal truths unbound his mind and released his rote philosophy. For these same naked natural mystics should be progenitors of cynics, stoics, and epicureans, and the tangled teachings of Jesus should reminisce the puzzling lessons that gymnosophists suggest. Yet to Faustus what he asked seemed childish, asking such, which came first, night or day? Such seeking, which is stronger, death or life? But the replies of these wizened, naked men, brown and bony, not the burnished, sculpted musculature and mass of our men's bodies surrounding them, looming grotesque monsters against delicate, childlike frames, our faces bearded and coarse while theirs open and mild, our gaze avaricious and sharp while their smiles... The replies they gave were witty and danced, evasive, hinting hidden truth and expressed with modest gestures and with artful grace, as if to tease us or annoy us, or else entice a question for a question for an answer. Which is the most dangerous of animals? asked Alexander. This was a sport of logic. Man, said one, 
The others did not speak. They all agreed. But how, said Alexander, a beast is stronger, a lion more fierce. Your elephant could trample me to death. The evidence is in yourself. You are this animal. And how many animals like you do you also lead? And how many like you shall you slaughter with them? What animal can be more dangerous than you to them? He was not angry. He nodded and asked. But you have such leadership as well. An immortal force, a daring opportunity, a burden. That is the sovereign we know. Who is your king? Alexander questioned. Ah, you mean Don Dames. Yes, please come. He must be the one to whom you must speak. So in a gathering they passed to the river, where their women bathed their children in rite or habit, as they did each day for night, to be clean before bed, refreshed for sleeping. They pointed out Dondames lying languid beneath a Bodhi tree, leaning on an akimbo bough like a chaise, with lots of leaves strewn round him, and cucumbers, flowers, and many fruits, ripe and various, laid out in front of him, although he took none of them to eat, and looked fed alone by their fragrance. Seeing him, Alexander took him to be the king, and greeted him accordingly, expecting similar obeisance in return. But Dondames only smiled modestly and quietly bade them all to sit where they stood. Alexander asked, What is your kingdom? He nodded as if he understood, but he replied instead this way, Our kingdom is the earth. All trees that bear us fruit the light, this sun, our moon, your moon, and troops of stars, just as you have so many men, and the waters, our water, your waters, too. When we're hungry, we go to eat. When we feel sleepy, we go to sleep. We have our wives, our children, that you see, each enough for each, so that each of us may die happily. Hearing this, Alexander said, Then there is nothing you shall want from me. But should there be, I shall give it, whatever it may be. Can you give us our immortality? Then all smiled at his holiness. Alexander sighed and must admit, That I cannot give, for I am mortal too. 
Why then, he asks, do you wage so many wars? To win and take so much and carry it to where? Won't you just leave it behind when you die for others to have again? That, replied my lord, is governed by my God, because I am slave and servant to that command. No man acts, no sea turns, no tree will stir, except by wind that is invisible and larger than he can be. I too may want to stop these wars, but the master of my mind will not let me. Besides, it is the way of all mankind. I do not make the world. I only live for it. Everyone takes things from everyone else, and everyone delivers them up to others, and in the end nothing belongs to anyone. Struggle is the father of all things. Life is only kept because another living thing dies in eternal struggle. The stronger and more able must win, while the lesser and weaker shall lose. It's not by humanity that man may live, but by the means of brute survival. The river was all that anyone heard, as after this no one spoke, until his holiness touched the warrior gently and said, No life escapes its death or suffering. And Alexander said no more. Later Alexander had processions bring his tributes of jeweled gold objects, of good wines and precious lamp oil, to which said Dondames that he had no use for them, but, to be polite, accepted at last the lamp-oil given, and bade a fire made, and bade the oil poured on its flames, in Alexander's very presence. He thanked him again, and all his men for the gift, and glutted, the fire flared high, then suddenly fell to emptiness, and in the darkness, the insects sang. Mm -hmm.